This is Hallway Chats, where we talk with some of the unique people in and around WordPress. Together, we meet and chat with folks you may not know about in our community. With our guests, we'll explore stories of living and of making a living with WordPress. And now the conversation begins. This is episode 29. Welcome to Hallway Chats. I'm Tara Clays. And I'm Liam Dempsey. Today, we're joined by Sarah Witte. Sarah is a polyglot software engineer, a public speaker, a teacher, and a mentor. She's a hardware and robot tinkerer from the Midwest. She has always loved programming and technology for as long as she can remember. She lives up to her Twitter username. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you guys? Hey, Sarah, we're great. It's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Would you just take a few minutes to tell us a little bit more about yourself? And of course, now we are really curious to share what is your Twitter username? (laughs) Um, My Twitter username is Geeky Girl Sarah. Um, There's been some times when uh, I guess some people have doubted this. And once they find out, they follow me and I'm about as geeky as I sound, then <laughs> they're a little surprised sometimes. But um, so I've been a software developer, you know, professionally for several years. But when I was a little kid, I started to learn how to program on my Commodore 64, which I think dates me a little bit. But um, I just found it fascinating. I could type in these little commands and the thing would just do whatever I told it to. And I could build up these like bigger and bigger things and do fancier stuff. And it just like always fascinated me. And you know, little baby nerd me just was like, I want to do this when I grow up. I want to be a computer programmer. And um, I, I figured out in college that most people don't actually know what they want to do. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, they get little ideas as a kid and don't ever follow through with being a firefighter or a astronaut or whatever. Um, so I guess I was kind of lucky in that sense, but I, I still love it. It's still um, something that still fascinates me every day. And I just have always loved programming. Wow, that's so. You started back a few years ago, and few, and this, yes. you're following your dream. But I imagine that what your job or what you do entails with technology is very different from what you would have imagined with that Commodore 64. So, how have you grown and evolved with the amazing changes that have happened in programming and technology and geek stuff? Hmm, good question. Um, you know. Back then, obviously, computers were, you know, kind of a, a novelty to have in your home. Or, you know, I remember we had a computer lab in school with like 30 computers and that was it. And, you know, now there's just computers everywhere. And I have several on my desk in the form of like cell phones and tablets and, and everything. And um, it's still cool that, you know, when I was young, the, these fascinated me because it's like, magical little boxes that did things. And nowadays, you know, we've kind of have bigger and faster and better things that can, can go way above and beyond what we ever could have imagined. But it's still fascinating that somewhere some computer can listen to me talk and figure out what I'm saying and, you know, all these other different kind of cool things we can do with technology. And so I guess just as I've learned more and computers have evolved more, there continues to be this sort of road that I keep wanting to go down like and just learn more and more and more of all the things. I am with a um, medical research institute at the moment and um, so we have different science labs and we're working on some of the lab management software that they have there. Okay. Um, but I've done some 
assorted side work too, either for fun or for pay. Yeah, cool. Uh, what kind of education did you pursue? Are you a computer science person? What? Yeah, I did go for the computer science degree at the university. Um, but I, before that, I took some programming classes in high school too, and then um, read a few different programming books to kind of pick up other languages along the way. Impressive. Impressive. What's it like being, I'll ask this possibly loaded question, being a woman in tech? Because there's a lot of talk these days about um, women in technology and uh, sounds like you've been in it for a really long time. So you've probably seen an evolution there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, Yeah. So it is kind of interesting. I think a lot of people know there's like a few women in tech, but they don't really know exactly how many. And stats typically say somewhere between 10 and 20%, given the, you know, location or the company or things like that. So, um, you know, definitely a pretty slim number comparatively. And um, I have definitely been in classes where I've been anywhere from the only person to like one of maybe like five in my programming class. And uh, even with the, I'm going to quote larger numbers, uh, often they've dropped out or they just struggled and not done too well. So, so there's been times when I've had a bunch of women in the class and I've ended up being the only one in the end. Um, I also know different like activities I did while at school usually didn't have a lot of women. They, um, it's been, I don't know, kind of interesting in that in some ways I feel kind of alone, but in some ways, you know, kind of the more I proved, you know, really, I I know what I'm doing. I can program. No, really I can. Uh, that, uh, sometimes I've just been like pulled in and it's been kind of an interesting turn from when I first went to university and I felt like this kind of loner and didn't exactly know, you know, felt like really out of place towards the end when I almost like everybody wanted to be my lab partner and they were <laughs> constantly asking me questions and, um, you know, wanting tutoring for me. So it's kind of an interesting change, but um, definitely my confidence had to grow to get to that point as well. Yeah, for sure. What What is your primary uh, type of programming or language that you're working in these days? Or what do you prefer? Um, these days, mostly PHP and JavaScript. Um, I in my you know little bio that Liam wrote, he'd mentioned that I'm a polyglot software developer. So I do a variety of different languages. I've done like C plus plus, C sharp, uh, Python, some other things in the past. So I, I dabble with different things on the side and kind of switched around jobs that have given me different languages. But right now, mostly PHP and JavaScript. Sarah, that's that's really interesting, the the different languages. I'm glad you brought up the polyglot because that was definitely something I wanted to get into with you. As you've grown or, or flown through and, and, and have been flowed through your career and learned languages and the like, has that been more of a desire to learn this language or that language? Or has it been more been there's a job opportunity or there's a challenge and no, they want me to use C plus plus, and they want me to use C sharp, and they want me to use PHP, and they want me to use JavaScript. So you you tackle these in languages, maybe at the uh, at your own 
desire or more add, as life presents these challenges to you, you accept them and move from there? Maybe you could talk to us about that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting combination of both, I think. So I, I learned on like basic on the Commodore and once I got out of high school, well, in high school, that kind of changed individual basics. And then the first language I learned after that was C++, and that was from a college class. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend of mine was working on a website, and he was like, we have this ugly Perl script. We kind of want to make it PHP. And um, I had never done website stuff before. Like I had done HTML and CSS, but not really anything dynamic. And so it kind of drew me in from that. I found the PHP in my SQL book and just kind of read it and um, soaked it up like, wow, this is so cool. You know, websites now do whatever I want them to do. And uh, so it was really fun. And that got me kind of in there. Um, And then when I went to college, the first time, I guess I should say, the main language was Java. And so I learned bunch of Java really quickly. And um, let's see, left that, ended up at a job where I did some ASP kind of stuff, which was absolutely terrible. Um, So that was (laughs) for a job. Um, Let's see, what else? When I went back to school again, they did C++ and it'd been several years. I kind of felt like I relearned that in a way. But when I had some internships, those were in C++. That was kind of easy. then there was JavaScript, which I had to learn for another job. Um, C Sharp, which I had to learn for another job. <laughs> okay. let, me, let me ask. Let me ask you a language question, if I can, yeah. uh, to, to interject here. Um, having having been reasonably fluent in Spanish at one point, although I haven't spoken it in a long, 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 long time, I really began to uh, consider myself fluent when I would have dreams in Spanish. Um, and that was kind of fun and interesting. And I wonder as you go from programming language to programming language to programming language, if there is an equivalent of dreaming in that language, uh, or some kind of similar analogy in, in how, you know, you know, it kind of thing. I wonder if, if you can speak to that. Um, I would be lying if I did not say I haven't had dreams where I coded something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how's that for nerdy? Um, but let's see. Uh, I would say as I've learned more languages, other ones have picked up a lot quicker. And I think you found that from foreign language. Once you learn one, it's like, oh, this is weird. But the second one's like, hey, that's kind of similar to the first one I learned. And there's definitely that with programming languages at this point it's just kind of like i know all the concepts how do i write it in that particular code syntax and i guess fluency is kind of hard because you know most languages have kind of a core piece to them but then there's other little add-on libraries and um different things like that so i don't know i I think it's really hard to be fluent in more than one language in the sense of like, I could sit down and not have to look anything up ever. But in the terms of like, if you just said, Hey, can you write me this function in six different languages? I could, you know, and it was pretty simple enough. I could probably sit down and do it. I guess I feel pretty familiar with all of these, but Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there is a little bit of context switching where I have to kind of change my brain to think like, Oh, how did I do that in that language? 
So I'm going to take us away from techie questions for a minute. Um, although I guess you could sort of couch this in, in some, some tech stuff. So we talk about success a lot when we have guests on this show. We love to talk about what, what people's ideas of success are. And I know um, writing code, success is a great feeling when you figure something out or you get something to work the way you want it to. It works. I've heard that it happens. <laughs> so, I mean, that would be, a, I guess, a very specific uh, tech project-related success, But and that may be how you define it. How do you define success in work or life in general? Good question. I think if you asked me, like, 10 years ago, I would have just hoped to get through school and get a job, and that would have been it. And I think if you asked me, like, Five years ago, it might have been um, the just, you know, get through school and get a job and that job would be just like interesting in some way. But what happened kind of when I went back to school to finish my degree was um, I ended up in some programming competitions and on a robotics team. And um, one of my teachers was like, hey, we have this women in computing conference. You should come to this. And little all over the place, different kinds of doors open. And as I started going through them, I'm just like, hey, this is kind of fun, but never would have imagined I would have done any of these things. Like, like I just never would have imagined I would have landed on a robotics team and um, <laughs> been able to say I've built robots and it's awesome um, different things like that. So I, I think success has kind of changed definitely over the years from just like, I hope I can do something and get a job to, um, you know, I, I've been successful in that a lot of different cool things have happened in my life. And I think I was kind of thinking on this recently that I think success now has sort of evolved to, am I able to take the things I've been involved in now and kind of bump it up a level and then still manage to get there? Mm -hmm. So like I've started doing some conference speaking. And so my next level would be like, Hey, what would happen if instead of me asking to speak at your conference, what if somebody was like, Hey, I want you to speak at my conference. And that happened this year. I got invited to go speak somewhere next year. And I'm like, Hey, that's kind of cool. I feel like I've hit a level of success there where, you know, that's happened. And then part of me is like, well, now that that's happened, what's the next thing? Like, what if, you know, this is like, a huge thousand person conference or I don't know, um, just like another step past that. And I guess for like job things, it would be like, I have different kinds of interests. What would it be like if I got a job doing, I don't know, like machine learning hypothetically. And, um, you know, and then can I get myself to that point and, you know, learn some more cool stuff. And then, you know, so I always, I think I've just gotten to a point where, you know, different successful things have started happening that I couldn't really have ever predicted. So part of me is just like, how about if I just take all these things and say, wow, this is successful. What would happen if I took it like another step further? Considering that this is something that you've wanted to do since you were a kid though, I would think you could have predicted it maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or it's pretty cool that you're living out what you, what you imagined yourself doing, maybe not specifically in terms of, um, speaking, being invited to speak and, and stair-stepping up the way you're describing. But it's really cool that you're, you're following that path that you started out loving when you were younger. 
Sarah, uh, when Tara and I were, were at a conference recently, we were talking about our own definitions of success and the evolution of our definitions over time. And it sounds like yours is a, is an evolving one. And that's really interesting. And, and, and I suppose in some ways it's not surprising, right? As we get more experience and we mature or change or get better or worse, depending on how our lives are going, our, our, our views on that. Um, will vary over time. And with that in mind, with your, with your current definition of aiming higher, if I can sum it up in a single phrase, um, you know, looking back on the success you've achieved from your hard work and the opportunities you've taken, what would be the single most important thing you do to achieve that success of getting to those next milestones, those next targets? Wow. Good question. And I'll keep phrasing the question a couple of different ways to give you a few more seconds to think. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds good. Um, and, and really, it can be something work-focused or life-focused or you know, meditative or whatever, whatever, whatever you're doing to, to keep yourself moving forward. I, so one of the things I feel like I've been struggling with lately is sometimes feeling like I'm just stuck. Like there's a sort of hurdle I have to get over. And the hurdles kind of hard, but I feel like once I get started, you know, past that, I'm over the hump and it's really easy to kind of go downhill. So in some ways, while I feel really passionate about, like, as I mentioned earlier, kind of wanting to learn all the things all the time, uh, it's sometimes hard to just find a way to sit myself down and say, I need to stop other things and learn this. I need to stop or not even need to, but just want to stop and learn different things. I, I know right now I feel like I have a lot of kind of adult things I need to do, different responsibilities. And so it's been kind of hard to say, I, I really want to learn more about cloud stuff. I really want to learn more about MongoDB. I really want to learn more about um, different things I've started and not finished. And so I think one of my biggest struggles to my success is figuring out how do I convince myself that this little hill that just looks daunting and I'm like, well, I have so many other things down here in this little valley that I need to do or want to do. Um, and, and just say, no, those can wait a moment. Maybe I need to really make the truck up this hill. And um, the times I do it, I know it's rewarding and, and beneficial to me, but I, I think that's my biggest kind of struggle to my own success has been just how do I, you know, get going up that little hurdle. What would you say is your favorite thing to do? My favorite thing to do mm -hmm. in terms of anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm terrible at superlative questions. Um, <laughs> oh, you can name a couple. <laughs> what are some, but not yeah. necessarily all and or not the most. Right of your favorite things to do. What do you do when you're not learning programming? Um, and kind of a surprise to myself at the beginning of last year, I told myself I wanted to try and do something absolutely non-technical because I'm so used to being the sort of super geek on everything. So I was thinking maybe I'd take an art class or learn painting, drawing, maybe do pottery. I don't know. And what kind of ended up happening through a series of different events was I end up in a women's chorus mm. and 
it's kind of interesting because I absolutely hated to sing and I really don't like the sound of my own voice, um, which is also kind of funny because I started a podcast and I have to listen to my voice constantly. But um, yeah, so I kind of went into this and I, I thought I sounded absolutely terrible and I recorded me singing a song and sent it to a couple of friends and I'm like, how absolutely horrible am I? And, you know, a couple of minutes later, they're like, you're, you're not, you're on key. You actually kind of have a nice sounding voice. And I thought, that's weird. I, I never would imagine this. And <laughs> um, like I said, through a different series of events, uh, the Kansas City Women's Chorus, I found out when they were getting ready to start their next concert season and I auditioned and um, didn't make it in. Like I just flopped the audition. Uh, and the director even said, like, I can tell you have some talent, but you just have like no confidence. And I can't see in this audition that you have the skills to do it. So I kind of end up working with myself and trying to build up some confidence and singing a little bit more <laughs> clearly and loudly and stuff like that. And I made it in the next time. And so I've sung two concerts with um, this big group of, like a hundred women. And it's been absolutely kind of amazing in a way I never would have imagined. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting story. And that constructive feedback from the chorus director that you have talent, but you, you didn't bring your A game today. And so I can't judge your talent and I'm not willing to risk the entire performance or season uh, on what, what, what you might be able to do. Can you tell us a little bit about, but that you then went on to come back and audition again and make it uh, speaks a lot about your ability to deal with failure, take on board constructive feedback. And I would imagine it's contributed a lot to your success over the years and getting onto that robotics team and learning all those different languages. What do you do? What's a good practice or habit for you, whether it's mental or psychological or emotional to deal with that failure, uh, particularly when you get some kind of piece of constructive feedback where you can see that there is a way forward and you just have to figure out a way to make that happen if you wanted to. Um, so I think in, in kind of the same way I got lucky as a kid and knew what I wanted to be, what I grew up, I kind of got lucky in that from an early age when I started learning programming stuff fails all the time. You know, you, you rarely, rarely, rarely write code that works the first time. And if I do, I'm usually concerned like what I do wrong that I haven't <laughs> tell yet. Um, and I think from that standpoint, like I'm used to the idea of, you know, sometimes I just kind of do things and they don't work. And so in terms of, you know, being able to say, Hey, here's my code. I'm missing something clearly, you know, it's not working. I can't figure out why and getting somebody's, you know, feedback on it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's constructive. It's um, not really a ding against me personally. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, something's up. And I think with other constructive feedback, I really try to take it at kind of a logical surface level. Like, like you're just commenting on this. It could be better if you do that. And um, the times when the feedback is not constructive is kind of when it hurts a lot more. So um, I gave a conference, my very first conference talk ever. It was really popular. And 
Um, so kind of thought the next one after that, like this could be really good or could be really terrible. And the first time I gave a talk after that, um, I got a lot of feedback from the conference and it was like, well, I could have learned more from a Google search or that was like a terrible waste of 45 minutes and things like that. And these aren't constructive because, you know, why was it bad? Why did you not learn anything? Why things like that? So it's come to a point where I've had to take sort of evaluate things from if they're not helpful to me, I almost have to ignore them. And that's a lot obviously easier said than done because I think I cried after I read this. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of what keeps me going forward is when I can find those really good people that are just like, here's good feedback in really descriptive ways that aren't more about, well, you're a terrible programmer, but more like, you know, hey, you know, if you did this, it'd work better if you did that. Um, you yeah. know, different, I don't know, you'd have faster outcome or, you know, it wouldn't keep crashing or whatever. I'm curious what that talk, that first talk was that you said was so well received. What was it about? Um, it was called Intro to Hacking with the Raspberry Pi. And it was about, um, it, I gave it in 2015. And this is, I think... A little bit of, again, a little bit of luck on my part in that the Raspberry Pi was finally around enough that it was a really common name. People had bought them and like, wow, it's a $35 computer. How cool is that? But, you know, then it kind of just sat around like, well, I don't know what to do with this thing. And one of the first questions. That was my asked, experience. Oh, I got this. It's okay, so cool. now what? <laughs> okay, now what? Yeah. Exactly. Go ahead. Keep and, talking. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. And. Um, you know, I, I kind of ask in the beginning, like, how many of you own one? And almost all the, you know, maybe half the hands go up and like, how many of you have it sitting in your closet or your junk drawer or whatever? And, you know, almost the same number of hands go up. And so I took some of my robotics knowledge and said, okay, well, here's an idea. How about I teach you some different projects you can create with it? So maybe you can put some LEDs on it, make it blink and do different things. Um, a friend of mine, put one on his garage door opener so he could text a code and it would open his garage door. Um, I've seen different ones, like some guy made a cookie making machine where he hooked it up to a bunch of different doodads and they would yeah. make like program in a recipe and it'd make like one cookie of a different type so he could see if the brown sugar yeah. versus white sugar worked better or more flour, I'm less need flour. To YouTube that. And, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, it was definitely kind of cool. And so what I did was kind of talked a little bit about, okay, so everyone's really daunted by the hardware idea. And it's really a lot simpler because when I went into robotics, you know, there's some really complicated stuff, but the basics are basic. They're not really that hard. And plus programming hardware is not nearly as difficult as I think people think it is. So I kind of wanted to show a brief overview of here's how to make some simple projects. We can, um, you know, really quickly program them. And, you know, within a matter of a few minutes, you can have some cool little projects and hopefully this will inspire you to maybe do something in your household or whatever, like a tweeting cat door or something. <laughs> well, speaking of cool projects, uh, we do talk about WordPress a lot on this show and I know you're not a WordPress specific developer, but just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk briefly about your relationship to WordPress, your familiarity with it certainly maybe isn't as cool as Red, Raspberry Pi, but uh, it is pretty cool, we think. So uh, tell us a little bit about your WordPress relationship. 
Yeah. Um, I definitely do think it's pretty cool in a way. I've used um, WordPress for a lot of different, different sites. Kind of in the beginning, I think the trend, you know, years and years ago was everybody should make their own website. And I finally got to a point where, you know, it was just kind of tiring for me to make yet another website for somebody. So I started looking into different ways to have pre-made site template management thingies and, you know, kind of saw WordPress like, Hey, let's try this. And it's kind of became one of my favorite ones because it's pretty simpler to set up and super customizable. And I think easy for other people to use. Um, so I definitely have used it for, you know, I don't even know how many years now, <laughs> probably at least 10. And I use it on all my personal websites as well as some other websites I've helped design for different people. Um, and probably the biggest project I've worked with it was a friend of mine owns a local magazine and he had articles well over like 2000 different articles from 2004 until present. And his website was one of those custom made things from some guy's basement. And it was just kind of this atrocious mess after a while. And <laughs> he kept having to call me like the thing kept breaking again and <laughs> have to dig through some other guy's atrocious code. And so I decided you know, maybe it's time we, we move this to something modern and um, kind of had to write some interesting import scripts to get his 2000 something articles and all those pictures and all those authors and everything in. But once I finally got it, um, it looks great. And there's still a couple little quirks I've been trying to work out, but um, I really like just how open and easy WordPress has been to use. And in terms of like community stuff, I haven't been too involved. I've started trying to go to a couple of WordPress meetups in town and um, I'm on a Slack group with different women in the WordPress community. So that's been kind of fun to chat with them a bit. Um, and then I know a couple of people from that actually work at Automatic and I'm friends with them. And so it's been kind of a cool little thing I'd love to be more involved too and kind of learn more what's going on. <laughs> well, you'd be most welcome to get more involved with the community, regardless of how often or day to day you use it. Uh, again, having just come from, from WordCamp US recently, I can, I can tell you that there are people who have you know, used it since it was started. And there are those there that they were thinking about getting into it and they'd never been to anything before. So you were hugely welcome to join uh, and get involved and attend local meetups. And there are some good people out in Kansas city from a local standpoint. So I invite you as and where you'd like to, to dive in on that. Let me, let me change gears and ask you one of our, our more signature questions. If I can, Sarah, what is the single most valuable piece of advice? be it personal or professional, or maybe a big mix of both that you've ever received and implemented in your life. And it can be an amalgam of advice if that makes it a little bit easier for you. I had an advisor at um, the second university I went to. And um, actually when I joined the robotics team, there was a guy on there and he really wasn't, um, letting me 
kind of get involved. He was like, oh, the code's already written. And I'm like, it can't be written. We're, we're building new robots. And um, I'm like, could I even look at the old code? And he wouldn't let me. And finally, I just kept going to the advisor and like, I'm I'm not wanted here. I, I clearly don't belong. And she was kind of like, no, no, stay, stay with it. Like event, at some point they will need you. And um, like whatever. And I'd go for another few weeks and it'd be a terrible mess and go back to her. And I'm like, no, seriously, like I probably should quit at this point. And she's like, no, 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 keep, keep going. Like it'll, it'll get better. I'm like, whatever. And, um, I don't know, like two, two and a half months in, um, they were having like a Saturday work day and I was there and didn't really know what to do. So it's just kind of sitting around. And one of the guys hands me this motor and he's like, can you make this work? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, he ended up handing me a motor controller, which I didn't know what that was at the time. And um, she's like, oh, you, you probably need an Arduino or something. Here's an Arduino. And I'm um, just kind of handed me all these things. I'm like, I don't know the fuck is Tendio what I'm doing. And, um, you know, kind of sat down with the Arduino book I found and kind of some internet resources and just started trying to look up what in the heck these parts were and what they did and how do I make this motor turn. And um, about two hours later, I got it to finally like hit a button on a keyboard and the motor would turn. And a um, little tinkering, a couple of minutes later, hit a button and the motor would go the other way. So um, this in turn ended up kind of developing into what happens if I take four motors and put them on a base. And now this thing can like drive around. And um, the guy that was being the obnoxious snot ended up moving away and I kind of ended up having to take over like the whole programming of everything and I still didn't really know what I was doing but um it was kind of interesting that you know I I don't think she predicted all this would happen either but uh it's just kind of interesting that sometimes maybe just sticking with it even if you don't see you know potential hope for future can sometimes turn out to have interesting results yeah, that persistence is is really valuable, especially in the face of what looked to be some pretty severe uh, adversity at the very least challenging uh, situation. And that's, do you feel like the the I guess the group organizer, the the advisor, was encouraging you to go and stay involved because? she was being supportive or more just because like, don't rock the boat, just stay there. I think she was probably trying to be supportive. I know she's been with the robotics team for, you know, good. I, I think since it's beginning, like, I don't know, eight years ago at the time. And um, she, she had probably just seen enough people come and go and different things kind of change and evolve that she was probably like, well, you know, he, I think if you stay, something good will happen. So I think she's trying to be supportive and encouraging. That's great. And that, that really does circle back nicely to your definition of success, of achieving things and taking advantage of opportunities and building on constructive feedback. So thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that story with us, Sarah. It brings us to what is well past our, our standard time. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to wrap this up, even though it would be wonderful to keep chatting. Before we, we let you go, Sarah, will you share with us where people can find you online, please? Yeah. Um, you can find me, my biggest social media, I think, is Twitter. It's at Geeky Girl Sarah. 
and I usually kind of live on Twitter. <laughs> so um, you can find me there. I started using Facebook again, so I'm also on there. Um, and then LinkedIn, just look for Sarah with and I'm, I'm the software developer, not the college professor in Colorado. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm really glad you're able to join us and super impressed with all that you're doing with technology and code and um, keep up the great work and having fun with it. And thank you for having me on. Thanks, It's Sarah. been a pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for being on the show. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the show. We sure hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you like what we're doing here, meeting new people in our WordPress community, we invite you to tell others about it. We're on iTunes and at hallwaychats.com. Better yet, ask your WordPress friends and colleagues to join us on the show. Encourage them to complete the Beyond the Show form on our site to tell us about themselves.